So two days ago, if I would have thought about myself sitting up here giving a Dharma talk, it would have been a little bit difficult to believe, given how I was feeling then. So I'm not um, 100% recovered, and yet it's kind of my night to do this. So um, I'm still feeling a little bit uh, vulnerable. And I haven't um, prepared a talk for the evening. So we'll kind of explore something together. I wanted to um, uh, look at some of the uh, significant teachings that have impacted me, uh, uh, particularly in the last uh, six or seven years, and kind of how I'm putting those together and looking at the practice right now and see if that is helpful for you in some way as well. Uh, about, about, I think it's about seven years ago now, uh, there were a few conditions that came together. Um, uh, one of them was uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, published his translation of the Majjhima which is, uh, is the Pali word for the middle-length sayings of the Buddha. And it's a translation that has um, 152 of the middle-length discourses of the Buddha compiled in this one book. And uh, with that translation, he also uh, made it very readable. He took out a lot of the repetitions of the oral teachings, and he put in a lot of notes and commentaries. And, it, and my teachers had been encouraging me for a number of years in my practice to read the Buddha's teachings, you know, read what the Buddha taught. Because up until that point, I hadn't really done much study. The translations that were available just were so uninteresting to me. They, they were rather dry and difficult to read and just didn't really touch my heart in any way. And yet I was getting this encouragement again and again. So when Bhikkhu Bodhi came out with his translation, I, I said, okay, now's the time. And I I'd actually took quite a lot of time uh, reading and studying that text. And so what I'm finding now about seven years later or so, that there's a number of points, or I call them pith teachings. Uh, pith, in a way, means essential, essential teachings that kind of stood out for me in that text that I can see have I've put together and kind of organized a way of thinking about my practice and practicing that um, is still evolving and still developing. And that's what I wanted to explore a little bit tonight is um, one of the edges of that exploration there and how that's manifesting in my thinking and my practice right now. One of the teachings that, and I never know, when I think back, I'm never quite sure whether these teachings were given when I was practicing in my early years, or whether I really was hearing them for the first time when I was reading these discourses. And one of the teachings that really stood out for me was uh, in one of the discourses called Two Kinds of Thought. And in that discourse, the Buddha is talking about the importance of wise discrimination, of really being able to turn the awareness, turn our mindful attention to the thoughts 
and really begin to identify and discriminate the kinds of thoughts that we're having. And he said when he was an unenlightened uh, uh, disciple, he, he was looking at his mind in this way. And he saw that there were thoughts of two kinds of thoughts. One kind of thought were thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of ill will, and thoughts of cruelty. That's one kind of thought. Three kinds of thought. But in other words, the more unwholesome, negative kinds of thoughts that he could see in his mind. And then he said the other kind of thought, or the category of thoughts, were, were the opposite, were thoughts of a renunciation or letting go, which means the, the opposite of the, of the, of the attachment, or the holding on to the sensual desires, the thoughts of sensual desires. So the renunciation or the letting go, the thoughts of those. And then the thoughts of, of non-ill will or, or metta, loving kindness. And the thoughts of uh, non-cruelty, which is compassion or karuna. And so he said, I can see that there is two trains of thoughts, two kinds of thoughts. And he was seeing how important it was to reflect on what happens when we find ourselves having either kind of thought. What happens? What's the impact for us when we have those kinds of thoughts? Because when we have the kinds of thoughts that are uh, getting engaged or indulged in sense desire, which is kind of a lusting after not just enjoying the pleasure of, of sense, sensual uh, uh, pleasures, but, but the, the, the desire, the clinging on to sense desires. What happens? What happens in the mind? What happens in the body? What happens when we have thoughts of ill will, which is hatred and aversion? And what happens when we have thoughts of cruelty to ourselves or to others? And he says, reflect on the pain that that brings, the suffering that that brings to ourselves, uh, to others, when we have those kinds of thoughts running through. And then really reflect on what happens when we have the the opposite kinds of thoughts, the thoughts that are wholesome, that are um, uh, more expansive kinds of thoughts, thoughts of letting go, of of love and compassion. if you look carefully, you see it, 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 it doesn't have any, it's not painful. It doesn't bring, those kinds of thoughts don't bring us suffering. They don't bring pain to myself or to others. So he says we have to really examine that and look at it and, and work with overcoming the kinds of thoughts that bring pain and actually encourage and develop the thoughts that bring love and compassion and renunciation. And I, this was such an important teaching for me because I really like working with my mind. Uh, that's one of the things that I have loved so much about this practice and the tools that I've gained in this practice. The tool, particularly the tool of mindfulness, the tool that actually is the light, the light of awareness that I can turn and shine on my mind, my body experience, what's happening and through my speech, my actions, my intentions. So I love that I, oh, I love it when I get very specific and direct teachings like this because it gives me something really to look at. So I know, yeah, okay, so I, when I have those kinds of thoughts and begin to really identify those kinds of thoughts, I say, yeah, that's really painful. It leads me to suffering. 
So I need to do what I can to overcome those kinds of thoughts. You know, early in my practice, I thought we're supposed to get rid of all thought. You know, not you know, try to clear the mind or empty the mind or, or not let any thought in. You know? So this also was very interesting to me because the Buddha is not saying that. He's actually saying encourage those beautiful thoughts, the thoughts that, are, that move from the heart, the, 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 the thoughts that move from a deeper part of our being that express our, 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 our deeper nature. Encourage those. I'm going to say more about the other teaching he says to, to really highlight how to, how to work with, with those thoughts. But so, so he says, you don't have to empty your mind. You don't have to clear your mind. In fact, he says, the only thing you have to be watchful of is that if you really get into excessive thinking, it's kind of tiring. So don't exhaust yourself with a lot of thinking. You know, it's not very good for your practice. It's not, won't, it won't, it's not very good for your energy. Not that thinking's bad or that it's wrong or we have to get rid of it or stop it, but, but more what's really encouraged here is the discrimination. And so with the mindfulness, with awareness, with that bright consciousness, a quality or characteristic that's inherent in that awareness is the discrimination. When we are awake in that way, we can, the, the wisdom is, is brought forth and we can actually begin to say, yeah, that, that thought, whether it's a, an intention, a thought, a, an action, uh, a speech or action, whatever it is, that's leading to more suffering. Don't follow that. Don't keep indulging in that. Don't keep engaging in that. Why keep repeating that behavior? You know? It's like, like the teaching starts to become pretty obvious, like what we're really doing, you know, when we see something kind of simple like this. It's like, but perhaps we can follow some other kinds of thoughts. You know, if I have a thought, like today, um, my, um, I have a goddaughter who lives in England who's very important to me, and her birthday's on Sunday. And I was sick, and I wasn't able to get her car together, and then I had to come to the retreat, and I was here, and I couldn't get to the store, and I was quite concerned about getting her, her card on time, because I don't want to be the kind of godmother that keeps missing birthdays, and I can easily do that. And so this, was, this felt like something very important to follow. Do what you can, my thought was, do what you can to get her card to her by Sunday. She lives in England, so it takes a little longer. And so that particular thought, yeah, follow that thought, listen to that thought, encourage that thought, because it's going to make a difference. It's going to make an impact on this little girl and also on our relationship and the way that I feel about her. So encouraging, sometimes we can encourage these thoughts. So I, I like that, and I, I, I think what I'm really... And as I was saying earlier, that over the seven years, more and more about this is making sense to me. What's really starting to kind of show up more and more in my practice is the importance of cultivating these wholesome states of mind, these wholesome ways of being. And when I say wholesome, what I mean is thoughts and feelings and actions and the speech we use... That, that lead to more happiness, 
that lead to more harmony, that lead to more openness, that lead to more expansiveness, as opposed to the kinds of states that we get into that actually generate more pain for ourselves. And what I've also really seen and discovered over the years, and and it, it becomes even more apparent to me and more obvious to me, is that I can and you can, we can work with the mind in this way. I remember early on, before I even started meditation, I had the view about myself that who I was, my personality, who I was 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 my personality, and who I was was fixed. That those kinds of, the personality gets fixed in the early part of your life, And those conditions fall into place, and then this personality is comes together, and that's who you are, and you're kind of stuck with that for the rest of your life, and you probably should get used to it. And that was what I thought acceptance was in the spiritual path. Like accept that you're this person who you don't really like very well, and you know get used to it. Start dealing with it, and you can deal with it, and other people have to deal with it. And it was kind of like this it, this thing, you know, that I was. And it was all so solid. You know, it was all all kind of... There was no possibility of transformation in that view. And then as I started coming onto the path of of, uh, meditation and and this particular Buddhist path, what started becoming so apparent was... How, how flexible the mind was, how kind of pliable the mind was. And I, I love that word pliable because it you know, really kind of points to the, the kind of um, insubstantiality in a way of the mind and these mind states and these feelings and these emotions and the personality that it actually isn't quite as solid as I thought it was. And I certainly see that in others as well now. And so working with the meditation and working with my mind and really following the steps on the path, I could see that transformation is actually possible. And it's not just a transformation that kind of comes about if I, if I do the right things, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a transformation that comes about because I'm actively participating in my transforma- in transformation. It's like I, I feel the responsibility that I have to bring about this transformation of my consciousness because I see the suffering that I have caused to myself and to others. And by taking the steps on the path, I see that it's possible to come out of that. And that is so inspiring to me. That is so encouraging to me. So when I find a teaching like this, you know, that very simply says... You know, don't follow these thoughts, but follow these thoughts. It's like, yeah, I can kind of make sense out of that. You know, I can kind of see that. And then to start really playing with it a lot and say, yeah, well, that means I can really encourage these wholesome states of mind and heart. If I'm not doing the other things, if I'm not judging myself, if I'm not... um, getting down on other people, if I'm not getting indulging in my fantasies, if I'm not uh, uh, getting all caught up in my, ang- my anger and my points of view and projecting those onto people, 
it's like, yeah, if I can see that and I can start making sense of it, there's a way to, to come out of the suffering of that. And as I come out of the suffering of that, what's there instead is the opposite, is more, is more love and more compassion and more letting go, renunciation. It's like that's, that's what starts filling the space it's not like the space just becomes, when I stop doing those things that cause pain, it, the space becomes kind of neutral or empty, or I'm kind of just sort of nothing. My personality just kind of falls into this void place. It's more that, no, it's like with those moving away, something else in my being, something else in my, 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 my nature has a chance to express itself. Something else has a chance to come through. And that's why I want to bring up the, this other teaching that in the Majjhima Nikaya that also really struck me. But this one's only really starting to um, come together recently. And this is a teaching that's actually a fairly important teaching in the, uh, in the, on the path, but it's really not talked about in its uh, totality, in, in, its, uh, in the way that it's presented in, in, the, in the Majjhima Nikaya. But it's, it's called the Four Great Efforts. And it's, it's what makes up, it what's, it's what comprises the, um, I think it's the sixth factor on the Eightfold Noble Path, or the seventh, I'm not sure which one, but Right Effort. Seventh, the seventh factor on the Eightfold Noble Path. And I'll tell you why this is starting to um, interest me, because in the past, I haven't been a big fan of effort. You know, effort's been annoying. (laughs) I haven't liked to make effort, although I have made a lot of effort in my practice. When I hear about effort, I kind of have a little bit of a reaction to it. I'd rather just kind of relax and not make so much effort, and uh, come into more of a relaxed, spacious, open place in my being, and not have to make a lot of effort to do that, because making a lot of effort to do that seems contradictory. So I'm not really a big fan of the the teachings on effort. But recently, I've been uh, very interested, as I said, about this um, encouraging these wholesome states of mind, how to, how to develop and cultivate more of these uh, beautiful states of the mind, the states of uh, joy and, and metta, compassion, equanimity, um, uh, uh, tranquility, um, mindfulness, all these really beautiful qualities of our being, how, how to really develop those more. And when the Buddha gives his teaching on the four great efforts, um, he's actually talking about this in these efforts as well. And I'll just go over these briefly. I'm, I'm not going to go over this in depth because this could be a whole talk in itself. Um, but I kind of want to point more to this potential for our transformation into beautiful states of being. So the first effort that the Buddha talks about, 
and, and, the, and maybe one reason that we don't hear so much about this teaching is because the way that it actually is translated is very, a, a little bit archaic, a little bit confusing. So I'll help you with that. But the first effort is to um, avoid unwholesome states that have not yet arisen. Now, when you first hear that, it's like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, how can you avoid something that isn't there? You know? But actually, what this teaching is pointing to is to, to generate conditions, internally and externally, that do not give rise to these difficult mind states. For example, if you have a tendency towards greed and particularly when you are in shopping malls. And you're the kind of person, and I know a few of these kind of people, that they shouldn't be in shopping malls. Because when they're there, they want everything, and they start buying lots of things, and they actually buy things and then go take them home and then realize they bought a lot of things they don't want and then have to take them back. And it's you know, really a time-consuming thing. Not only time-consuming, but it's actually quite painful to be involved in that whole kind of mind state. So for one, one example is avoid the shopping malls. You know, avoid putting yourself in situations that are going to give rise to unwholesome states that have not yet arisen. And avoid the kinds of circumstances that trigger off the greed, the hatred, the delusion, and the ways that those manifest for you. It's really a teaching about wise restraint, particularly around the sense doors. If, if, a, if a person has a tendency towards lusting after um, a young, attractive women, then maybe there needs to be a little wise restraint around the eye door, particularly when those kind of women are around. So to, to use the restraint in a, in a way that is going to give rise to a more wholesome way of being, to avoid those unwholesome states... Um, if there's a tendency to indulge in really good food or wine, then to be watchful of that, avoid it. So this is what this teaching means. Take effort in that. Use wise restraint around uh, situations that can trigger the tendencies, the tendencies towards these unwholesome states. The second effort is to overcome already arisen unwholesome states. So once they've arisen, then you have to overcome them. And actually, a lot of the teaching that we do, a lot of the teaching, a lot of the practice we do on retreat is this particular effort. It's how to work, you know, learning how to work with the mind uh, once these difficulties have already arisen in the mind. How do you do that? Because a lot of times we just find ourselves caught we find ourselves kind of um, stuck in these difficult mind states that we don't want to be in, and we don't know how to get ourselves out. The traditional teaching, which is in another discourse, um, actually the Buddha talks very directly on how to work with um, these, these distracting and unwholesome states of mind that have already arisen. And... Um, I'll just go over these briefly. These are called the five suggested methods for working with distracting thoughts. See, there's actually a lot of good material in these teachings. The first, <laughs> the, the first, the first um, suggestion is what's called 
replacing. It's translated as replacing. And what that actually means is just to, when you see that there's a difficult thought there, replace it with a thought that is more positive or more wholesome. To tell you the truth, when I first saw this, I was really stunned because I thought that that teaching was from sort of the new age, you know, new, positive thinking and positive affirmation. And I thought, you know, that, that's not Buddhist. You know, you, positive thinking is not Buddhist. And that <laughs> you're supposed to get rid of the thought or, you know, be more skillful with your thoughts. But here it is. Give attention instead to that which is wholesome. Change the thought. Replace the thought. That's the f- first thing. But that's only, I think, when the thought isn't really gripping you when it's not a strong thought. And I think that these are somewhat hierarchical. The second one in working with um, uh, distracting thoughts is to uh, reflect on how these thoughts that um, I'm having are painful, um, how they're causing me suffering, how, what, what the impact is of these thoughts. So a reflection And that's still, if there's uh, some awareness to be able to do that, if you're not completely gripped. The third one is um, what uh, is called forgetting or or looking away, which I call um, a skillful distraction. Actually ignoring the thought, turning away from the thought, finding some way to kind of, you know, I'm not going to really give attention to this thought. You know, this is, this is not something I feel is worthy of my attention. You know, so, so being able to skillfully turn away from the thought. Um, the fourth one is, is, is called stilling the thought formation. And this means kind of inquiring into um, the, the, the cause of the thought or looking more deeply into the nature of thought. Looking at thought for what it is. Just not in a way sort of going a little deeper, not getting so caught up in the content of the thought, but beginning to inquire a little bit more about what this is. What is this thought? What is thought itself? And then if none of these work, because probably they won't in many cases, the last one is called clenching one's teeth and crushing mind with mind. (laughs) And the Buddha talks about putting your tongue up in the roof of your mouth and clenching down as hard as you can and crushing your mind. This is serious, you know. It's like, get tough. Because sometimes the mind is relentless. These difficult, negative thoughts, and we, in, he, in he's suggesting to find the place within us that is strong enough. He says, as a strong man can, uh, as a strong man can crush a weak man, you know. Um, sometimes that's what we have, we have to find that strength. We have to find that wholesome quality of our being, of strength, and be firm with the mind. Say no to the mind. And this is, a, this is a very important and necessary teaching that many of us need to draw on. And so sometimes when I give this teaching to people, some people will say, but, 
but but that can't be Buddhism. Buddhism is 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 compassionate and gentle and kind and and shouldn't you just be kind of more gentle with your mind? <laughs> shouldn't you be like like soft with your mind? And you answer the question: Does it work? Does it work? No. Lots of times it doesn't work. It's just the mind comes in and just blah. You know, yeah, who do you think you are? Do you think that you're strong? Yeah, I'll show you. You know, and so, so we need to really sometimes stand up. So it's crushing mind with mind. So this is what the Buddha talks about classically when he talks about overcoming these unwholesome states that have already arisen. Now, the third one is developing wholesome states that have not yet arisen. And this is the one that I'm getting very excited about now. And I think for a long time, I mean, it didn't even really make sense to me. Like, how can you develop a state that hasn't arisen? Or how can you develop a wholesome state that hasn't even arisen? Where does it come from? You know, how, how do you do this? But I, I think what's so interesting about this particular pointing is that it's actually pointing to the fact that there is some innate quality of our being that is in place, that is already configured in a wholesome way. There, there is a quality of our being that we are not able to recognize, that we are not able to have access to. And so this teaching is saying, generate the conditions. Generate the conditions internally and externally that are going to give rise to these wholesome states of being. Another way of saying it is to the innate quality of our being, which is already in place. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do for ourselves to generate these conditions? Now, wholesome states... Classically, these wholesome states are referring to um, the, the seven factors of enlightenment. I mean, there's list after list after list. And the seven factors of enlightenment are these uh, qualities, um, these factors that we develop here uh, when we come to a retreat. Um, uh, they're, they're enlightened qualities. They're enlightened factors, which means that they... Uh, they arise from our innate nature, our enlightened nature, our Buddha nature. And so we are generating the conditions here for these wholesome states to arise, for, for them to, to grow, for them to develop, for, for, for in a way we sometimes we say cultivating these states, these, these enlightened essential states of our being. These, these the, 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 the seven factors that are being pointed to traditionally in this teaching are, are mindfulness, um, uh, investigation, or, or that quality of interest, um, energy, awakening the energy, uh, joy, or rapture, uh, tranquility, calm, um, Samadhi or concentration, the one-pointedness of mind, and equanimity, the, the balanced, non-reactive state of mind, which are, are the conditions of mind and heart that we are cultivating here that, that can come together if we, gener- if we put effort into generating the conditions to make these happen. 
So we do this through what, how, we, how we set up the retreat, all the conditions here at the retreat, the way that you're taken care of, uh, the way that uh, we, we, we give you the teachings, um, the sangha here, the silence, the, the techniques of the meditation itself, all of these generate the conditions for these wholesome states of mind to arise. This is what, this is what we're encouraging here. I like to, and, and what I'm exploring uh, now in myself as this is becoming more understandable, is that I think that it actually goes beyond these seven factors of enlightenment that are classically talked about. But when we talk about generating conditions for the arising of these wholesome, wholesome states of mind, we're also talking about the development of loving-kindness, or the, the four Brahma-Viharas, the, the loving-kindness, the, the, the compassion, the joy, the equanimity, joy and equanimity being two of these seven factors. Um, we're talking about the, the, the development of, of many different wholesome states of mind, of, of generosity and patience and uh, truthfulness, um, a ways of, of being uh, moral or morality, you know, uh, uh, of strength and courage. All of these, these kinds of um, expressions of our enlightened essence which are, are already there, but the, the Buddha is saying, we need to develop these. And, and how do we do that? So, so many of the teachings, if you read the teachings, if you hear the teachings, it's about generating these conditions that will give support for the arising of these enlightened essences, these enlightened qualities of our being. And, and I also call this, in a way, our, our toolbox. You know, it's like all the tools that, that we learn and we gain uh, over the years of our practice. We learn more and more ways to develop these qualities of heart and these qualities of being. And then we can start drawing on many, many, many different tools, many different skills, many different, even, to any, even many different paths. You know, different teachings, different teachers that all kind of feed into generating these conditions. So here on this retreat, we are um, both doing the um, mindfulness practice, the concentration practices. We're also doing the loving-kindness practice. And the loving-kindness practices are generating uh, these conditions of heart and mind so that we might be able to begin to feel into the place where we really do love ourselves and care about ourselves and, and care about others and, and begin to access that um, place within ourselves where we can let that arise more and, and let that express itself more in our lives. That's just one. That's just one little small practice of many, 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 many practices that we can do. One practice that we do as well when we talk about loving kindness, when we talk about metta, is we talk about uh, bringing uh, the mindfulness or the awareness to what we see in ourselves in a loving way. It's not just mindfulness. You know, it's not just the, the knowing of what's happening, but it's a, it's a compassionate knowing, a, a kind, uh, uh, a tender 
uh, exploration of our experience. So we begin to cultivate a way of being with ourselves, a way of doing the practice that, that, that has the, the energy or the, 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 the force field of the loving kindness in it, of the compassion in it. And as we do this, this generates this wholesome way of being, this wholesome state of mind. We, we generate the metta. We generate the compassion. All kinds of qualities of, of patience and strength, of renunciation. And the last one, which I, I find is so interesting too, is the fourth effort, is to maintain these wholesome states once they're, once they're arisen. It's not just, oh yeah, that's arisen and notice it and then let it go. You know, it's maintain it. <laughs> you know, overcome the ones that have been difficult, but maintain the ones that are wholesome and expansive and, and positive. So we we're getting a very clear instruction here where we place our energy, where we place our intentions, where, what, we're, what we're looking at um, in, our, in our practice. Maintaining wholesome states could be both um, uh, internally and, and externally. You know, uh, internally, maintaining is to, um, uh, to encourage that uh, loving uh, um, attention towards what we see. When we see a kind of a difficult judgment come in to our meditation, it's, a, it's to, 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 to use the effort to overcome that and then to sustain a more compassionate way of being with ourselves through reflection or reminding or um, uh, being, doing some kind of kind thing for ourselves. Externally, it, it may mean to um, uh, sometimes take a walk in nature, be in nature if that's what feels like it's going to be nurturing or supportive, um, to uh, uh, f- go and talk with one of the teachers. I mean, there's so many things it can be. Sometimes it means to, to go get a cup of tea and, and to, to relax and, and to uh, take a break if things are getting very difficult. Um, sometimes it means more than that. Maintaining in our lives means um, actually really generating conditions in our lives that are much more supportive for uh, uh, what we want to arise within ourselves, the kinds of people that we're with, the kind of place that we live. I mean, this teaching is wide and expansive and vast, the, the, the way that it permeates every aspect of our life. So I think at different times in our practice, one of these efforts may be something that we need to give more attention to than other time. You know, there may be a time where we really find that we just need to really work with overcoming these unwholesome states of mind, and we need to give a lot of energy to that. That needs to be a real focus in our meditation. Other times it may mean that, no, it's time to really develop and um, let uh, grow these wholesome states of heart and being and mind. And I want to put a lot of attention on generosity in my life or um, truthfulness in my life or, or, or tranquility or whatever it is and, and put a lot of effort and energy into that. So, so, it may, so each one of us needs to reflect on, 
what is the present condition for us? What is the, the need for us? What do we need to give our effort and our attention to now? Because this is the way that we actively uh, become engaged in our transformation. We can, each of us can make a difference with our, the way that our mind is uh, configuring. It doesn't have to just be the way it is. There are all these beautiful teachings that, that, that uh, inform us on how to really be uh, uh, engaged in this, uh, this change of heart. One of the quotes from the Buddha, um, uh, the Buddha said, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of one's mind. Whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of one's mind. And I think you can see that now in your own practice. If, you, if your mind inclines towards um, thoughts of, of, of sense desire, we'll just use these classic ones, sense desire, ill will, or cruelty, and, and your mind inclines that and you're not working with it, you can see how that becomes the inclination, that becomes the shape, that becomes your reality. And the necessity to really work with the mind in that way. And as we start to incline the mind in another way, we start to incline the mind more towards renunciation, more towards loving kindness, more towards compassion. That becomes the inclination, that becomes the shape, that becomes the reality. That's what our, what our life starts to become filled with. So we can, we can make a difference in our own lives in this way. Maybe as a way to, um, uh, 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 just as a way to end the talk this evening, maybe um, we could just take a few minutes together and um, do a reflection together. And I'd like you to reflect on What quality of your being would you like to give some energy and effort towards supporting that to arise more in your life? What quality of your heart, of your being, and and I mentioned many different ones this evening, And it's going to be different for different people depending on the conditions in your life right now. What quality of your heart? In some ways, this is quite timely, given that tomorrow is New Year's Eve. We're beginning just about to turn into a new year. 
And so what quality is it that you want to begin to bring forth as we move into this new year? And maybe a few people would like to say out loud. (laughs) Sometimes saying out loud makes it a little bit more real. So just say, self-care. Joy. Compassion. Fearless loving kindness. Fearless loving kindness. 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 Mm -hmm. Equanimity. Courage. Steadiness. Steadiness. Vulnerability. It's beautiful. Sometimes we don't think so much about that being one, but it is. I didn't hear? Trust. Trust. Gratitude. Gratitude. Clarity. Clarity. May each one of us find the energy within ourselves to give rise to these beautiful qualities of our enlightened essence. Let's just sit for a minute together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.